Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? The number is 291-6901. And you put the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We certainly wish you would, and just in case you don't get a chance to call in, or maybe something occurred to you later on in the week. Or even next week at midnight. There you go. You can always get your questions answered by going to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it right on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And you know, we do get a lot of technical questions in email, and also we get just some people like Marco from New York. He wrote a nice, nice little email to us. And Marco is just what you, I guess you'd call a car nut for yeah. better or gearhead. He just loves cars, uh, but he's visually impaired and he can't drive now, but he just says he just loves cars, loves listening to the show. So I thought I'd give him a little shout out there. He's even got a, a much older vehicle. A 61 he's got a Thunder. 61 Thunderbird yeah. list here, and I think he may have a couple of others he's okay. alluded to in other email and all, but he's just one of the types of emails just wrote to say, hey, we, I enjoy the show. I like listening to it. And uh, People will do that. That's one type of email we get. Another is, hey, how about you guys talk about blah, blah, blah. Some, right, a certain topic. Mm-hmm, you get that. And, of course, you get lots and lots of technical email where sure. people will have a specific question and they want to know an answer to it. Right. It Probably we get more email than we do questions on the show <laughs> yeah, by a wide measure. But just another way that you can go about getting questions answered. That's a great way to get questions answered. Well, that's or right. Or call the show. Or call the show either way. And, you know, the things with auto repair that get you into trouble are not so much the things you don't know. It's some of the things you think you know. You think you know, but you don't realize how much is involved or what is involved. Or even how things have changed. Something that used to work back 15 years ago does not apply now. Well, yeah, absolutely. And a few weeks ago, we had a call from a gentleman, and he had taken the lifters out of his engine, a 4.3-liter right. 4. Chevrolet. He wanted to know how to go back in. And the point is, or I guess what I'm trying to say, that there is no answer to that because what GM does, they just put them in. Sure. And there is one hole in there, but that might – you may have 6.1 win, 6 point in the other way. You may have 11.1 win, 1 point in the other way. It's irrelevant when they put them in. Right, because all the components are new. And as the engine runs, they all wear together. That's right. But if you don't know that you have to mark them before you take them out, now you've just got a very expensive lesson. Sure. You just paid for some education sure, right there. Sure, because if you put one of them back in the wrong way, the wear patterns have changed now. That's right. And it will end camshaft. Well, and there's tons of things like that, and you just have to know that. And the problem is the people who get into those kinds of problems did not even realize that was anything to consider. Exactly. You know, another case is where universal joints, a universal joint is exactly the same. It'll go in either way. It makes right. no difference whatsoever how that joint is pressed in right. until you take it apart because the manufacturer pressed the shaft together. Then they went in and balanced the shaft as an assembly. Right. So it didn't matter. However, if you press it apart and press it back together in a different position. Then you've disturbed the balance. Now you've got a vibration got a problem. that you just can't cure. And you're into a new drive shaft, or at very least trying to find someone who could balance that drive shaft, which is a big, 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 big deal. It is. There's not many people around now that, that do drive shaft work. No, there, there really aren't, because drive shafts are sort of going away with so many of the front-wheel drive cars out there. And it does take some very expensive equipment, a lot of skill, to balance the drive shaft. Sure. And there's, there's some people out who do some drive shaft work, and my 
experience. They're not real good at balancing shafts. They can get them okay up to maybe 60, 70 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But a dry shaft spins so incredibly fast. Well, yeah, it's spinning at depending at, on the rear end ratio right. between four and three times. A, yeah, average ratio of one. rear end is probably three and a half to one. Right. So it's spinning three and a half times wheel speed. So at 80 miles an hour, this thing's spinning about 200 miles an hour. Yep. And it's a four, five, six foot long shaft, maybe four or five inches in diameter. So it's got some mass to it. And you get that much mass rotating that fast, and it has got to be precisely balanced. Yep. I mean, not close. It better be nailed on. And if not, you're going to get a vibration that you just can't fix. And it's one of those things where they just didn't know what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you have to, if you don't know, you have to ask questions. And the problem is, if you don't know, you don't even know what questions to ask. Right. You don't know till you've done it already. Uh, made t- the mistake. You made that mistake. Right. Guy told me a long time ago, he says, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's a good, good point. Another case is like broad bearing caps and main bearing caps. And a lot of times they are numbered. They'll have a, a number stamped on them or something. Sometimes. But sometimes they don't. Right. And if you just take all those off, throw them in a box, and go to put them back together, you're going to find out the hard way. Well, you know, you was talking about main bearing caps. Mm-hmm. If you take it apart, even if you mark it, mm-hmm. you have to mark it in the correct direction. That's right. Because that cap will fit. Either way. Either way. And if it turns around the other way, you have messed up the bore, right. the line bore in it. Well, and when the cap was put on, it didn't make a bit of difference. Nope, not at they all. They just popped the caps down, torqued them, torqued them, and then they ran a line bore machine through it. That's when it became a unique product. Yep. At that point, we had a guy here, it's been a few weeks back, I guess maybe a few months back, he had put an engine in his little Toyota, okay. little four-cylinder Toyota, and after he got it completely back together, as soon as he hit the key, he knew something was wrong. Right. Because the starter made a real peculiar sound. And at first, he said, well, maybe the starter went bad. So he goes, buys another starter okay. and puts it on. Well, it makes the same sound. So now he knows he's got a problem. He doesn't know what it is. He plays with it for about a week. Finally got the engine to start, and it's got a really, really wicked sound now. So ends up bringing the car to us. And what happens is that there's two shims one on either side of the flywheel. Right. And he had taken one of the shims out, and I don't know if it fell out or he forgot it or whatever. He put the one on the outside of the flywheel, but not the one between the flywheel and the crankshaft. Correct. Which changed the position of the flywheel. And it was only maybe 80 or 90 thousandths of an inch. So it wasn't something that you could see with your eye, but it was enough to disturb the angle of the starter. So uh-huh. the starter make noise. It also allowed the bolts that From held the, the flywheel on to hit inside the motor, and it was making a grinding noise. Fortunately, we didn't have to take the engine completely back out. All we had to do was pull the transmission, take the flywheel off, get the right shim, and he he still had the shim. He found it after. Afterwards, yeah. (laughs) I said, go look on the crankshaft on the old engine. (laughs) There you go. But it's one of those things just not knowing cost him an inordinate amount of money. Sure. By the time he bought a starter he didn't need and then paid us to swap all his stuff out, Yep. It, it, it was a pretty expensive little lesson. Let's go to our phone lines. Good morning. Welcome to the Automotive Hour. Whoop. I guess we can couldn't pick him up there. He called right back, and I'll get the producer to put you on hold. He, <laughs> out of the station there for a second. There you go. Yeah, call right back. We'll put you right back up top of the list. But a lot of times, like I said, it's not so much the things that you don't know. Because if you don't know, you generally will seek information. Kind of right. But the problem is, if you don't know that you don't know, then you have no way to even realize. If you look at this, it could clearly go either way, so you just don't give it a second right. thought. Just like the gentleman with the lifters, they 
pulled out. He did what he wanted to do. And then he says, whoops. Now, this will go two ways. Which way does it go? And Now it's too late. It's really too late because, again, I went through service data as far as I could go, and there's just absolutely no reference to that whatsoever. And I've talked to some people who have – a good deal of experience. They say, well, they uh-huh. go either way. They might be six one way. They might be six the other way. They just might depends be on how they 11 got... one way and one the other way. There's That makes no difference. They just put them in. Right. You just have to mark them when you take them out. And once you crank it up, then you have a unique product. That's right. Once you start, start the to wear engine, allow them to wear in, then you got something that's different. It's sort of like even like brake drums. It doesn't matter which side of brake drum goes on. Nope. Until you put it on and drive it 40 or 50,000 miles. Now, if you cross those brake drums side to side without changing the shoes and everything else, you, you may, may end up with a brake noise or anything else because they've worn in to that to shoe. certain pattern. Those drums are identical side to side. It makes no difference except they've worn in to the shoes. Now, of course, if you go in and change the drums and the shoes, then, yeah. you're then right you start over with two new products. That's right. You can do that, but you can't really mix things up, and you just got to know that you can't mix things yeah. up. <laughs> Let's go to the phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good. Thanks so much for doing this and answering our questions. You I had a question about a um, 2005 Toyota Sienna. Okay. I had it in for the oil change about a month ago, and uh-huh. they told me that they saw a little leak coming from uh, one of the CV boots uh-huh. and recommended getting all of those changed. Okay. And so I just wanted to ask if that was something that was run to fail or if there was a good time to try to get all those done and if I needed to do all those at the same time to save on labor. You don't have to do them all at the same time, David. It would probably be prudent to do the inner and outer at the same time on one side, simply because once the axle's out, you have to take the inner off to get to the outer. So it would be crazy not to change both of those. But if it were an inner and you didn't want to fool with the outer, you could do that. You know, it's it's kind of peculiar. Some of those will last the life of the car. Some of those do go out. So I wouldn't recommend just go and change them if they look good. I would certainly inspect them. Pull on them just a little bit, see if there's any cracks in the boot. If the boots are cracked and dry rotted and they look like they're going to break, it couldn't possibly hurt to do them preemptively because once the boot breaks, you generally don't know immediately. And what starts to happen is it slings the lubricant out, which could cause the joint to run dry. It can also allow grit and grime to get inside, and that does damage. And if you're going to replace the entire axle, that's one thing. You can just wait until they fail and put another axle in there. But the problem is now it's getting hard to get good axles because at one time when there were tons of these out, the boots would bust. We'd just go get a remanufactured axle, and they were pretty good. But for whatever reason, they can buy these new axles offshore cheaper than they can remanufacture the axles. So everything now is this new junk that is absolutely no good at all. You're way, way better off if you can keep your original axles, reboot them, and put them back in. We had a case a while back, Brian, where you had changed a boot, had no problem with it other than the boot was busted. Right. And we a new axle is what they sent us. Got it put in, and immediately it had a shutter or a wobble when you accelerate, which is the inner joint is not made correctly. Right. So we had to take it out. We got another one put in. It was better, but it was still there. So what I ended up doing was taking the original axle – rebooting it, regreasing it, and putting it back in, and problem was solved. Perfect, yeah. So you've got a good original equipment Toyota axle. Now, of course, the other option is go buy a brand-new Toyota axle, but, man, you're talking eight, 900 bucks in some cases for that thing from Toyota. New replacements are about 80 or $90. So, I mean, do the math. You know, it's just not there. So I guess to answer your question, I would certainly replace the one that's bad. 
The one that's leaking. That's leaking. And if it were an outer that's leaking, I would change the inner because it has to come off through the outer. In fact, if you buy those boots from Toyota, they're going to come with both boots. Comes as a kit. Boots, grease, clamps, clips that hold them on, and the axle nut. Right. On the other side, I would just inspect it. If it looks good, I'd leave it alone. If it's dry rotted and looks like it's fixing a crack, then I'd go ahead and do it. Great. Thank you guys so much. All righty. You're welcome. Thanks, Carl, Dave. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you are part of the automotive art, we'd love to have you. We're going to go ahead and take a quick little break, but we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, You know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surfing turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersay, and with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, True Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have, even the ones you don't know you got. That's right. <laughs> Until you hear the, the right keyword, I guess. That's right. Well, and what can help you in a situation like this, I guess, is you can speak to people who do know. Just ask. You have to ask sort of open-ended questions because you don't know what question to ask. Uh-huh. But you could say, tell me about this job. Is there anything to look out for? Right. And in that case, they may say, well, yeah, you need to mark da-da-da-da-da before you take it out or before you put it apart but can't ask the question which way do these lifters go in there before you do the job because you don't realize that's even a problem until you've encountered it yeah we use that a lot in the shop between the techs and i mm-hmm. you know if i'm doing a job i'm not that familiar mm-hmm. with and one of my other guys is mm-hmm. hey what i need to do to make sure this goes smoothly that's right and if in doubt mark everything oh yeah just Definitely. mark everything or take it out and set it in a certain position where you can put it back the same way that it came out. Yep. Even if it makes no difference, it's certainly not going to hurt anything. No, not at all. To In put fact, it back. I took a water pump off the other mm-hmm. day, and I wasn't as familiar with that application. Mm-hmm. So as I took the bolts out the water pump, right. out of, as I took it out of the hole on the old pump, I put it in the hole on the new pump. Well, very good idea. And that way you know you're still in the right configuration with your bolts because I have seen some engines have longer bolts and shorter bolts mm-hmm. and different size bolts. And, and just a slight amount. Right. Shorter along. You may not notice it taking them out. And the problem is, if the first bolt you put in is maybe one of the shorter bolts, well, it may go right in there and well, tighten sure. up and everything appears to be copacetic. You get to the last bolt, you go to put it in, and it's a longer bolt. Well, it bottoms out and won't tighten up. Okay, now which one was the right bolt? So now the entire thing has to come back apart. You have to start comparing and trying to figure out where this goes. At the very least, you could end up eating up a couple hours' time. Or worse yet, you put the longer bolt in the shorter hole, and it goes into the timing chain. You crank the engine up, and you just wiped out the timing chain. Well, that. uh, You could maybe not notice that this bolt has bottomed out because it did torque down, and now you got a leak. So the entire thing has to come back apart again. We've seen how many times we've seen stuff like that. lots. The bolts are in there. They're tight, but they're not 
pushing Tight, against right. what it is because they've bottomed out in the hole. What's worse, when that bolt bottoms out in the hole, if you really get crazy with it and start tightening down some more, you'll pull you'll the threads. Must, well, I'll muster on the bottom of the bolt out. Then when it comes out, it's going to take threads back out with it. Right. And it's one of those things I know I heard a long time ago. A guy was rotating someone's tires, and the bolts, the lug studs start to strip coming off. Mm-hmm. And the customer said, well, he stripped my lug studs. No, 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 no. 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 He <laughs> didn't. The last guy who put them on stripped them. Right. He's just He's delivering just revealing the them. You cannot strip a bolt taking it out. No. You can only strip it, putting it in improperly the last time, so the next guy who takes it out is going to have the problem. So this guy was pretty angry with the shop because they had stripped his lug studs, and he called me uh-huh. and I because the guy said, no, I didn't do it, and I guess he wanted a second opinion, right. and I confirmed it that, no, he does, you cannot strip a bolt taking it off. Even he's the way he put an impact. It doesn't matter. Impact, no impact. It's going to spin right off if it was put in properly before. Correct. The problem is when it's put in, it's either over torque, put in the wrong place, cross cross thread it, put it on. Well, the guy who goes take it off will reveal the problem. He's just the messenger. Right. You know, can't shoot the messenger. That's right. And you know, we talked just a little bit about that last week, and I kind of want to go into it just a bit more this week because I see a lot of times people will get angry with a shop for something that is absolutely not their fault. Mm-hmm. And because the public just doesn't know a whole lot about auto repair for the most part, it's very, very easy to take a certain instance, and it seems to make sense. And this guy seems to be the villain, but he's not. He's right. just the guy trying to tell you what's, what's, what's happening here. And you see that all the time. I had a fellow who wrote me from – he was a shop owner, and I don't remember where he was located around the country, but – Someone had brought a car in that was a timing belt engine, and it had about 200,000 miles, and the timing belt had not been replaced. Right. Well, they brought it in to them for some relatively simple service. I don't recall, maybe air conditioning service or something like that. Well, while they're doing the service, necessarily they have to run the car to do that. The timing belt gives up Mm -hmm. and breaks. Well, the customer is furious because you tore his engine up. No, your lack of maintenance tore your engine up. Correct. I was just the guy unlucky enough for it to break while I had it in there. Right. It could have been in the customer's house. And, it could have been in his house. could have been going down the road. could have been right. in the parking lot. could have been anywhere. The belt was going to break. But it just happened to break at his shop. The point was you can't blame this guy because the belt broke while he was operating the car. He had to operate the car. He wasn't abusing the car. He didn't bring this problem on. Right. And it's illogical to blame him for the problem i don't know how it ever resolved itself he was just asking my opinion and i told him i said i would try to explain it logically to the fella and ask him what it would take to make him happy Mm -hmm. because sometimes if you just give a little something hey how about if i do this job at my cost for you because i am sorry that it happened here but it is not my fault i'm not going to just do it for free Mm -hmm. Or, or whatever terms you might come to there's usually a way to resolve most conflicts even if both people think they're right if each person is willing to be kind of logical. Another is to get someone else, a third party, to arbitrate the claim, a third disinterested party. And that's one place where, like, the Better Business Bureau is very valuable because they can come in as a third disinterested party, both sides explain their side, and non-emotionally they make a decision based on facts. And that a lot of times will give you a better decision. But that sort of thing can happen just a lot, a lot of times in the auto repair industry. And, you know, it's kind of like we talked just a little bit last week about the guy with the brake noise and the shop had done the brakes, but the guy rode his brakes all the way down the mountain in Tennessee, burned his brakes up, up, 
well, now they're making noise. He's mad at the shop that did the job. Well, no, you got to get mad at yourself because you didn't operate the car properly. And that kind of thing happens. I remember years ago there was one where a guy did not change his oil for 40,000 miles. Wow. For whatever reason, he didn't know he had to change it or he didn't realize he had to change it. He just didn't want to change it or whatever. But he did not change the oil for 40,000 miles. The engine throws a rod. Right. He goes back to the dealership and thinks the car should be under warranty and can't produce any oil change records. And it all looks like tar. Well, I'm sorry, but right. you, you just you missed, out. Yeah, right. you, you you abused you the design. Correct. And he was angry at the shop, and he was looking for somebody to testify in, in his behalf. I said, uh-huh. I'm sorry, I'd have to testify with the shop. <laughs> right. I'm not. The, I'm the guy who's going to tell you the truth. I'm not the guy who's going to tell you what you want to hear. Right. And that's just the kinds of things that happen. Not to say that shops don't ever make a mistake or they don't ever mess up, because that truly can happen. But most good shops are going to take care of that for you. Exactly. It's just you can't blame them for everything that happens because many things just are not their fault. Hey, let's go to our phone lines. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning. Yes, good sir. Morning. I have a question. I have a 2006 Honda Odyssey, mm-hmm. and the air conditioner is blowing different temperature air out of different vents. Yes, sir. Okay. The, the passenger vent in the middle on the passenger side mm-hmm. blows the coldest. Okay. And all the rest, they progressively get hotter until you get to the driver's side mm-hmm. door vent. Yes, sir. It's blowing pretty hot air. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have rear air. It blows so-so. Right. David, in most cases, and I say most cases because there are a number of things that could cause that kind of a phenomenon, but in most cases, there's a part in there called an air mix motor, and that air mix motor can go bad, and what it does is it does not close the door off between the heater core and the evaporator, evaporator core. And there's, you've got a heater core, which is very hot. You've got an evaporator core, which is cold. And the air goes either way, depending on the temperature you select. If right. that stays partially open, what happens, the cold, the, the cold part will cool the air down, but then it goes through the heater core, which warms it back up. And I can tell you, an air conditioner can produce down to about 40 degrees cold, but a heater can put out about 200 degrees hot. So the heater's oh, going to win. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I agree that. The, the heater wins. Yeah, the heater will definitely win. So that's most of the time what the problem is. Now, you would have to do a little bit of testing, and you need a Honda scan tool to test that. But sometimes the control panel just won't tell the door to open or close all the way. The door itself could possibly be broken or jammed. One other thing is if the system is slightly low, for some reason the evaporator core is over on the right side, so it tends to get all the coal that's there, and the other ones blow a little bit warmer. So that's another possibility, but I would bet the most likely thing is going to be the air mix motor on the left side is probably going bad. And fortunately on Honda, those are fairly inexpensive and fairly easy to change. Really? Is that something a do-it-yourselfer could do? Or? Well, if you got it properly diagnosed, you could probably change the motor. But I okay. would spend the money to have someone who knows what they're doing diagnose and make sure that is the problem. Then if you elect right. to fix it yourself, yeah, you could probably do it yourself. It's fairly simple to do. But if you go and change it and that wasn't the problem, then you just threw your money and time away on that, and you still hadn't okay. resolved the issue. Well, thanks a bunch. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we've got Wallace has been patiently holding. Good morning, Wallace. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. First, I'd like to say I enjoyed your explanation of the Donald Rumsfeld theory of auto mechanics. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. That's right. <laughs> but the question I have, I have a Toyota RAV4 mm-hmm. 2012. Is there a way to adjust the volume on the turn signals, or is it relay clicking? Either a relay or a solid state, and it produces a sound through the radio. 
As far as I know, there's no way to moderate that sound. I'll, I'm not going to say absolutely not, but generally. Did you want it louder or quieter? Yeah, louder. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a lot of times I'll do a corner and it mm-hmm. doesn't turn off, and then I realize, well, it's still clicking. You would have, have to, to go. Yeah, you would have to go into the service data and see how it works. If it's a plug-in relay type flasher, you might be able to get another flasher that would fit the application that would be louder. You might also be able to put something around the flasher to amplify the noise. But more and more today, they're not a flasher as you know it. It's just an electronic thing, and it produces a sound through the radio. Now, unless Toyota were to support that through software that will allow you to raise or lower the volume, it's pretty much fixed. Yeah, because I've tried to listen around, and even with a stethoscope, and mm-hmm. uh, don't hear it through the speaker, but hear it through the you know, speedometer almost, a dashboard. Well, it could flasher. be a separate flasher, and if that's the mm-hmm. case, you could either get a louder flasher, because most of them, the plug-in is pretty similar on them. You may be able to get a flash that's louder, or you may be able to, like I said, put something around it that would amplify the sound. All righty. All righty. Well, that's what I was wanting to find out. All now right. I know something that I know. There you okay. go, Wallace. Thank Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, got to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes, it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and I'll give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And that's what John did. Good morning, John. Good morning, Louis. Hope y'all are doing okay today. Doing wonderful, sir. I've got a question on two different vehicles. It's a transmission service. Okay. I have a 2015 Toyota Highlander with a V6, mm-hmm. 3.5. Yes, sir. And 2015 Ram 5.7 Hemi with an eight-speed automatic. <laughs> mm-hmm. When should I have the transmission service the first time on those two vehicles? What I like to do, John, I don't like to go past 50,000 miles on a transmission. And I know the manufacturer will tell you they'll go 100,000 or they'll go forever or whatever. It's just to me, everything to me is cost-benefit. And the cost of the service, for the most part, is pretty low. The benefit is pretty high. And the cost of not doing it is just I can't tolerate. And it's like everything else. If you're willing to assume some risk, you can save some money. It's kind of like you could save a good bit of money by not carrying liability insurance on your car. Right. However, if you have an accident, it may wipe you out completely. And if you get caught, you may go to jail. So it's kind of one of those sorts of things. I prefer to change them around 50,000 miles because I find the ones that we do at 50,000, there's generally some debris in the filter. Generally, the fluid is pretty dark and looks like it's starting to break down. And the ones that we do that with 
the odds of a problem seem to be a whole, whole lot less. I know all the cars we service, which we've got roughly 15,000 customers on file right now, and they have multiple cars, so we have a pretty good-sized database. I look at the ones who have transmission trouble and the ones who do not have transmission trouble. And the ones who follow a 50,000-mile service on them seem to have a lot less. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean you will never have a transmission problem. If a gear breaks, I mean, you can service it every day, and that gear is going to break. It just wasn't manufactured properly, or an electrical circuit burns out. You're still going to have a failure. But it almost eliminates the lubrication-related kinds of problems. Now, on that eight-speed, when you start pricing the components on that, you're going to find out those are obscenely expensive. Uh, I mean, the filter is about $300 because it's part of the pan. The fluid is $32 a quart, and you need at least five quarts to service it. Right. So on something like that, with that much, I might go in and change the fluid at 50,000 miles and maybe push the filter out a little longer, depending on how I operate the vehicle. Now, if you're not towing anything and you driving a lot of highway-type miles, you could probably go 100,000 miles on that filter. If you're towing it, I think, again, your cost-benefit is going to still be down around yep. 50, even though the filter is so ridiculously expensive. Right. Uh, on the Ram, well, both the vehicles are driven a lot in the city, but mm-hmm. uh, do you think it would be maybe better with that with the truck to uh, service it before 50000 It doesn't hurt. I find most of them have a synthetic fluid in it, and they hold up pretty well for 50. The only time I would recommend more than that is if you were towing with it regularly. Let's say you've got a travel trailer that is up in the six, 7,000-pound range, then I would recommend around 30,000 on that because you're putting a lot more load on it. You're generating a lot more heat. If you are regularly operating in the mountains, let's say you live in Colorado and you go up and down that mountain every day, I would probably recommend a little faster service, somewhere around 30000 For the most part, and I didn't ask, were you calling from the Baton Rouge area? Yes, sir. Yeah, in Baton Rouge, even in stop-and-go traffic, unless you're towing with it a lot, you can generally go pretty safely, 50000 Okay, and factory recommended thing, I threw that away when I left the dealership. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, you got to remember where their service intervals come from is one of two places, and one is they get rated on how low their maintenance is. You know, Consumer Reports and those guys say, oh, this thing doesn't need any service for 100,000 miles. Well, it looks great, okay, except that they tell you at 100,000, you got to throw the car away. And the manufacturer buys into that because none of their warranties are past 100, so they're not worried about it one way or the other. And really, if you have some trouble at 100,000, that's good because you can probably go buy another vehicle. You know, right. that eight-speed goes south at 110,000 miles, and they tell you it's $8,000 for a transmission, you're more likely to buy a new truck than you would be if that didn't happen. Yes, sir. Well, so, I, I don't go through vehicles too much. I just bought this one two years ago, and mm-hmm. this is my third Dodge truck since 1988. There you go. Yeah. Sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, thank you all for your information. I you, appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, you yes, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alright, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. I'm glad John brought that up because I know we've talked about this a bunch, but with transmission service, I had a gentleman who emailed earlier this week and he had bought a vehicle and looked at the fluid, it looked kind of dark, so he took it into his dealership and they did a flush on it. Okay. And worse, they added some cleaner to it when they did a flush. And as tactfully as I could, I tried to say, well, number one, Anybody does a flush is not anybody you want to go to because exactly. at very least it's going to do no good and, and it, it may can cause... do some harm. You don't ever put a foreign material into a transmission. No. 
it doesn't need a cleaner. It does not need a stop leak. It does not need anything but the fluid manufacturer that, calls for. Right. That fluid is designed for that unit. It's it got does everything. In the, fluid, the right amount of detergent in the fluid. It's got everything this, that unit needs is in that fluid. That's absolutely right. And the only thing you need to do is replace the fluid and replace the filter at the proper interval. And like I told him, I would go immediately to someone who did not subscribe to that theory, have them do a proper service, get whatever they put in there out. As much as they can. And then hope for the best. Right. Because a it's lot a lesson of, learned. Well, yeah, and kind of like all the other guys we were talking about earlier on, you just got an expensive lesson right. in, in car repair. But GM has a bulletin out which will instruct you not to flush exactly. any of their vehicles. Don't flush any of the subcomponents on their vehicles, but yet their dealerships continue to do it. And it's because it is very, very profitable. Sure. The reason that is so profitable is that to do a proper service requires a skilled technician. You have to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You have to stock a lot of different fluids. You have to stock a lot of different filters, pan gaskets. Plus, there is always the possibility if you put something back together wrong, like if you have a less skilled person, he puts the wrong filter, he may produce a problem. Because there, you would be surprised at the different filters for the same application transmission. Well, yeah, you may have like a 4L60E could have four different filters sure. that all look exactly like and will all bolt on there. Except, except one of them is sure you put the short one in the long pan, you don't pick up any fluid. Right. And if you're lucky enough to put the long one in the short pan, you can't the pan put the pan back on. Or if you put it on, you go crush the filter. Right. And you go probably immediately know something's wrong. But if you put the other one on, it's just sitting at the top of the fluid sucking air. So the transmission starts slipping and burns the transmission up. Right. So... Yeah, you have to know what you're doing to do a proper service. So rather than pay a highly skilled tech to do transmission service, what they found is we can get a flunky in here. He's got this little machine. He'll take two cooler lines off, hook this little machine to it, run the fluid through it, take some of it out, put some fresh fluid in there. And then we can also sell him some of this other junk, the potions and stuff, and that's 100% profit. We'll just dump that in there. The point is they're not helping the customer at all. No. They're violating the way the manufacturer says to service a vehicle. But they're making a whole lot of money. Sure. So, yeah, we've and, kind of hit on this a number of times in the past. But when you go to a shop and they use the word flush. You know you're in the wrong place. You're pretty much in the wrong place because I always say I like to call it a wallet flush. Right. You know, they're, they're recommending a wallet flush to you. Number one, transmission, and I've got an article on my website. If you go in and type in ATF color. Okay. And it'll bring up an article on this topic. Looking at the color of transmission fluid is not, no indication whatsoever not at of all. the condition of the fluid. It may look nice and pink and clean and may be horribly worn out. Uh -huh. It may look very, very dark and be normal. Well, that's, gee, I'm glad you brought that up because some of your transmission fluids are not that bright pink or bright red color you're used to looking mm -hmm. at. Some of them are dark, right? very like dark. Your Toyota WS is almost purple yeah. in color. It's very, very dark when you put it in. We had a fella a while back. We replaced his fluid and filter properly mm -hmm. on his Toyota Tundra. He goes to a quick lube, and they say, well, your fluid's dark. You need to change. And he comes back concerned. Right. He said, well, my fluid's dark. I said, no, 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 no. That is WS, the proper fluid for transmission. It's almost purple in color. And I showed him. Right. We got, actually a bottle, got a bottle. Opened it up. This is brand-new fluid. This is what it looks like. Uh -huh. Oh, man. He said they, were, they had a little chart there with some oh, colors. Oh, yeah. That's... And they were trying to sell me. I said, no, no. What you're going to do is you're going to dump all that proper fluid out, and you're going to dump the wrong fluid back into it. And not to mention, that transmission is very difficult. It takes a trained technician to get the right amount of fluid back in it. Well, yeah, because it has to be at full temperature. You have to know how it's at full temperature. It doesn't have a dipstick. Exactly. No so dipstick. It's a very uh, difficult transmission to service. 
And so, but you got to watch that people will tell you, well, the fluid's dark and all. The reasons to change transmission fluid, I mean, clearly if the fluid is burnt and it can smells smell like burnt. popcorn, yeah, you can smell it. Well, a service is probably not going to do any good. You no, already got damaged at right, that point. It's too late. But the, the way you want to service transmission is you want to know when is the last time it was serviced. Correct. And I know a lot of times I will call people and I'll say, well, this fluid does look dark for what's normally in this transmission. When is the last time it was serviced? Uh-huh. And if they say, well, it was serviced about 20,000 miles ago, I say, okay, well, it's probably used a darker fluid. Maybe the dye was different. Maybe the fluid just got dark for some reason. But if they say, well, it's been, I don't think it's ever been serviced. Okay, well, then I would recommend it based on the fact that it has never been serviced or right. based on the fact that it's got this many miles, but not based only on the fact color. of the fluid. Now, if I am familiar with all the different kinds of fluid, I know what color they're supposed to be, then it is somewhat of an indication, although it's not a definitive indication. Right. Because it could have been changed for a different type of fluid. Even different manufacturers may use different dyes. So you'll have a slightly different tint in right. that color. Not only that, but some fluids just get dark. They faster do. Than other. I know brake fluid is like that. Some of your Toyota brake fluids, they stay clear as drinking water yep. for five, six years or more. They just don't get dark for whatever reason. I and, don't know why. It must be something about the dye they're using or it, the lack of dye they're using. It does not mean the fluid is still good. It could be totally contaminated with water and still be almost Brilliant. crystal clear. On the other side of the spectrum is some fluid, you can replace it put it back in, hit the brakes three or four times, and it turns dark again. Yep. Doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just dark. It's just the fluid, the type of fluid, maybe the dye in it. Maybe there was some dark material in the system. But, again, just the color of the fluid taken in consideration with how long it's been since it was done is an indicator. But just taking the one is not, not an indicator. So, kind of, again, like we've been talking about, one of the things where you don't know what you don't know. Right. Until. You have to be very, very familiar with the way the unit works and the way what's normal for this particular unit. Mm -hmm. Another indication, going back to our transmission thing, is certain transmissions will generate a certain amount of metal. They will. I know Josh will come in sometime. He'll show me a transmission pan with a good deal of what I consider a good deal of metal. In it, he says, what do you think? And I say, well, it looks like a lot of metal. He says, no, that is normal for this particular car. Now, other units do not generate metal at all. If you see any in there at all, it's a problem. You've got to know which ones do and which ones don't. That's right. You have to be familiar with all the different designs so you know which one indicates a problem, which one is normal for that particular design. doesn't mean it's fixing to go out. It's just this unit Creates produces more, more metal. So, right. Hey, we're going to take our last quick little break and be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? (laughs) No, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. (laughs) Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. You brought up a good point during the break. Right, and we were on the, the subject of brake fluids and, and different types of fluids underneath the hood. And what the manufacturers have done is they've gone to clear, translucent reservoirs. Mm-hmm. And particularly with brake fluid, if you let it get dirty, mm-hmm. it will stain a ring around the inside of that reservoir. Right. And most of them you can't get in there to clean out. If you, you get in there with a rag, you could wipe it out. but You really can't get to it. You can't the, get the, to the it. The neck opening isn't big enough to get in there. Right. And what happens is the fluid always looks dirty mm-hmm. or it always looks at one level. Mm-hmm. The only way to figure it out is you actually have to take the cap off right. and look inside to see where the level's at and to see what condition the fluid is in. Right, because the stain level is what you're looking at, not the level of the fluid. So Correct. it can look full when it's low, and it can look dirty when it's clean. We've had some come in. The reservoir was low, mm-hmm. and the stain around it was at a, at the <laughs> white light, but it was low enough to turn the light on. That's right. That's right. Low they, indicator. They low say, fluid. well, I'll check the fluid. It's full, but the light's on. Right. So, yeah, all kinds of things like that can go on, I tell you. Let's go back to our phone lines. Fernando, good morning, Fernando. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Hi, you good morning. morning. Well, I have a quick question. It's also regarding fluid. Okay. So on uh, rear-wheel drive cars, they have the differential. Correct. I was wondering, what, what about, like, in front-wheel drive cars, like my wife's Camry? Do they also have, like, a differential in the front? Well, or depending or on, does it work? Yeah, depending on what year Camry you've got, Fernando, some of the old ones did have a separate differential, which had a separate plug to be checked. Most of the newer ones, the transmission fluid also lubricates the differential. So when you change transmission fluid, you're also changing differential fluid. It's one reservoir. But some of the older ones, and I don't remember when that was. I want to say mid-90s. Yeah, somewhere early, in there. early to mid-90s. They had a lot, a lot of trouble because there were two drain plugs, and sometimes people would drain the reservoir, and, of course, now it's empty. We only get a quart or so out. Then they'd go to check the transmission, and they'd say, oh, the transmission fluid's still full. So then they would drain the transmission. Then when they'd fill it up, they would fill the transmission up, leave the differential empty, and it would burn up very shortly thereafter. So some of them, you know, it's like everything else, a yes, no answer. Most modern okay. cars, the differential is part of the transmission, and it's and lubricated it's, by the transmission fluid. But there's probably a handful out there that are separate. You just have to know the application. Yeah, and on some of your all-wheel drive cars, is a separate transfer case also, right. which is separate from transmission. Yeah. Okay, okay. So my wife's car is a 2004 Camry. That'd be considered more like a modern car. Yes, sir. So that, really the like transmission fluid and the differential are going to all be one. They removed the uh, baffle okay. between the two, so that the fluid from the transmission lubricates the differential now. Okay, okay, perfect. It's a basic question, but I didn't know the answer. I was just wondering all this all this time. I didn't know that. Well, and, you know, so it's kind of I mean, like we were talking about earlier. It's things you don't know that really kill you. We had a guy <laughs> a while back who had a leak at the transmission seal on one of the older Camrys. And he could see it leaking, so he kept checking the transmission. The transmission was always full, so he didn't worry about it. He just kept on driving it. Well, he burned the differential up because all it only holds about a quart. Right. And when the quart looked out, it burned up. He says, but the transmission was still full. So, yes, transmission is full, but the differential's not. Got a separate, <laughs> separate fill plug. So, stuff that you don't know that gets you. <laughs> Again, yeah, kind right. of an expensive lesson there. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for, for answering the question, for all the information you gave. All right, about. Fernando. How's the weather out in California? kind of a little chilly this morning and i guess that today it's going to be probably in the in the 70s i guess yeah about the same as here we're having some delightful weather we're probably 50s at night and 70s in the early low 70s during the day so it's, it's been great yes well we had some rain we had some rain in the past two days a little bit of rain but uh-huh. it looks like we're not looks like that's over for now well good deal well thanks for calling fernando 
All right. Thank you, guys. Mm. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. we still got a few minutes. If you can get a call in real quick, we can probably get an answer for you. I'm sure if we Fernando can. can call from California, then you can call from Baton Rouge. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about the different things, and I have been called to task where we replace someone's brake fluid, and they call me back and say, hey, you didn't change the brake fluid. Uh -huh. Yes, we did. But it's still dirty. No, it's not. The reservoir is stained. Correct. And so, therefore, if there's a little layer of crud in the bottom of that reservoir that's dark, when you look through the clear fluid, all you're going to see is the dark. Right. And it does look dark, but if you draw some out with an eyedropper and look at it, you'll see that it is it's clear. crystal clear. And brake being clear, that's that's another thing. Mm -hmm. Some brake fluids, depending on the manufacturer, right. or even batches from the same manufacturer, will have a different color tint. That's right. They're all going to be kind of a yellowish to clear type fluid. A little fluid. bit of an amber color yeah. to it. I don't remember what kind of a bone color, just slightly off uh, clear for the most part. But some of them are almost completely clear, and some of them are fairly dark right, right. out of the bottle. Same manufacturer, just different batches. Don't know if they got different dye amounts dye or whatever. Amounts. Yeah, let's Possible. see if we can make this real quick. All right. Hey, Joe, good morning. Can you make it quick? Yes, sir. I, I don't really have a question. I just I had a 2011 Chevy Malibu that I, I thought that was leaking uh, transmission fluid. Mm -hmm. It was red in color, smoke filling and whatnot. I carried it to the transmission shop and they said, no, sir, you don't have a transmission problem. You Dexacool is leaking. Yeah, Dexacool. Right. We get that quite a bit. It looks just like Texas. It does. Yeah, Dex cool. And what happens yeah. is that if it runs down, the heat of that motor will kind of boil the water out, and it gets kind of thick and oily, and it looks just like transmission fluid. We get that quite frequently. Yep. And okay. especially like on a Chevy pickup, because those two connectors back at the firewall will leak, and it runs right down by the transmission, and people think they have a transmission leak, and you know it's it's actually a coolant leak. Ends up being the water pump. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Pump. That that yep. does that does happen. So that thing was in the time machine. This is a mess. I'm a figure. Oh goodness. <laughs> Y'all fellas, have a good one here. All right, Thank Joe. You. Thanks calling in. All right, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. I think we're pretty short on time now. Probably can't get yeah. another call in. But, you know, that is a good point. We get people in. And a lot of times after a transmission service, they will come in. And, again, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. They'll be mad sometimes. Say, you just serviced my transmission. Now it's leaking. Mm -hmm. And you check it and know now the water pump's leaking or now the whatever's leaking. It's coolant. GM vehicle, it's orangish red pink and when right. it runs down the heat of the motor and balls the water off it does feel oily and it does feel thick just but like it's still coolant. i mean just like coolant yeah it's still coolant it's not transmission fluid even though it maybe looks like it so the point is if you get all mad and you go somewhere else and they fix it and then now you've gotten angry at a shop for absolutely no reason they didn't do anything wrong it's just your car right. cars break that's just what they do particularly the more miles on them, the more they break and the so, more sophisticated they are nowadays. Right. You just have to understand it's not, not everything is the shop's fault. Right. You know, some things have just happened. <laughs> so, hey, I see we're just about out of time. We need to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here. like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be, and fill out the written review for us. There you go. If you fill out that written review, give us a good rating. What will happen is that when people type in auto repair, we come up close to the top of the list so more people listen. More people listen, higher our ratings. The more ratings, we can do the show. That's right. When my boss looks at that and says, hey, it's a pretty good show. We're going to keep them on air. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, whoosh, boom. That's it. You're out of there. <laughs> That's it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.